welcome back to Thought Crimes, podcast by Safnat, where we discuss the hardest parts of our behavior with the most insightful guests to deliver tactics to take control of our behavior and our lives. On this show, we cover burnout, personality, sleep, neuroticism, and more. Today, uh, we have a really good friend of mine, Mally Anderson, joining us. Mally was an editor at Penguin Random House. Uh, coincidentally, one of the editors of one of my favorite books, Behave, um, and later she fell into crypto, working directly with one of the founders of Ethereum when she was a writer and editor at Consensus. Uh, she was also my co-founder on a project called Satori, um, previous to this, and currently she helps translate ideas that people have trouble translating. Uh, into digestible, reasonable, understandable uh, formats, and she's very talented at it. She's working with Near Blockchain now, uh, and today we're talking a little bit about behavior. Specifically, we're going to talk about creativity and making time for it. So thanks for joining me, Mally. Thanks for having me, Peter. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's start with a question. Um, and. I think the way that you put it before we started recording is, um, and, and basically I want you to kind of flesh this out a little bit for me, which is you've found it hard to make room in your life for being creative. Is that right? Why do I find it hard to make room for being creative? Yes. Um, basically I, yeah, I guess I work a lot and have a lot of thoughts and emotions about work and just generally don't feel like I have much energy or time to spare. Um, and I don't think that's real because I'm not like a stockbroker who has to be online 24 seven or I don't know anyone, anyone with a really demanding job. Like I work hard, but it's a pretty normal job and I don't have a lot of other like life obligations like a you know a child or something so why despite knowing that creative work is or not creative work creative output is important to me mm -hmm. um and makes me happy and used to be a really important and huge part of my life like why am i not doing any that anymore how am i getting in my own way and um how can i kind of like psych myself out of whatever feelings are making me not do that yeah Cool. All right. Yeah. This is like the most uh, sort of detective-y episode so far, which is we have, we've got a, a crime, right? A thought crime. Yes. Help me is, solve this crime. <laughs> let's solve, let's solve the crime of your own mind. Um, and so talk to me a little bit more um, of a time in the past, right? So you, you pointed to a time in the past where you were creative. What did that look like? What, what, what was the output? What, what was the measure of creativity? Um, I used to paint. I was a mostly an oil painter. Um, I was a dancer and I wrote for fun a lot. Um, sometimes poems, sometimes, uh, I mean, I sort of like creative nonfiction. Um, so yeah, I guess I used to produce a lot of, of creative work in different forms. Um, but mostly, mostly the one that's been consistently important to me is writing or that yeah. I've made the most time for in my life. Um, Interesting. But yeah, basically through school, I did all of those things. And then um, once I started to have full-time jobs as an adult, it all just kind of came grinding to a halt. So um, that would be about 12 years, I guess. Yeah. 13 years where I haven't really done much of it or I, I do here and there, but not for consistent, you know, not for long periods of time. Yeah. Well, let's talk about work then. Cause it sounds like just briefly, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, we're not going to dig super deep into this. We don't want to, um, we, we, we're not really talking about your profession. I want to yeah. talk about how Mally, right. Interacts with work. Mm -hmm. So do you write a lot for work? Do you do things that you feel you'd categorize as creative for work? Yeah, there is there are creative dimensions to the work I do. Um, as you explained, I'm mostly like an editor of other people's ideas or writing. Um, mm -hmm. and then I, I write a lot of, um, I write a lot as part of that either rewriting other people's stuff or writing like 
strategic explanations or, or um, you know, basically like higher higher level outputs of what people produce technically. Um, right. So that requires some creativity of like, how do I pull a human dimension out of something mm -hmm. that seems technical or inert? How do you imagine how this will be useful for people or affect their lives? Who should mm -hmm. be doing this and, and why yeah. would this be important to them? So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of creativity in basically any kind of writing or explaining, I think. Um, okay. But like, is it what I would choose to write about if I had, you know, all the money and time in the world? Maybe not. Um, yeah, probably not. But it's also, you know, work is obviously about the all the other stuff that comes along with right. having a profession. So the creative pieces of it are part of what, you know, motivate me and keep me wanting to do it. Perfect. That answers my question. And we're going to get our first layer of paint. So we're basically going to deconstruct the thought crime uh, in five large chunks that match up with the five traits of your personality. And we're talking about right now when we're talking about creativity, creativity is a very complex human expression. It can't really be reduced into like, you know, a bunch of if you have these three things, you're a creative person. Yeah, exactly. But right. there are components of creativity that we can see and we can see them inside of our traits. And so what you described is essentially what I'm hearing, right? Inside of openness, which is a large part of what draws us to creativity, you painted. That's aesthetic, right? So that's mm -hmm. the visual creation. You wrote and you implied your writing fiction right you're writing things like is, is that accurate i wrote some fiction but it was actually more i mean more non-fiction in poems actually so okay all right I wrote, I wrote all of it but nice i i would have called myself a poet probably once upon a time yeah fantastic so poetry is um closer to openness to fantasy right so inside of openness right just to just to we're, we're gonna we're gonna drill down actually pretty deep i realized um so <laughs> hopefully you don't feel too uh laid bare <laughs> but no, <it's> cool. <laughs> um, we're gonna look into fantasy aesthetics feelings actions ideas and values that's what we're doing inside of openness these are the facets of openness right and so you in particular what i'm hearing is at work you get to express essentially one component of this openness to ideas maybe values sometimes fantasy but you're highest in openness to ideas and openness to fantasy followed by openness to aesthetics right so if we're looking at those three things what the behavior is going to do if you're already sort of like scratching an itch mm -hmm. it can in some cases trick your mind into into essentially not pursuing this behavior in other parts of your life right yeah. so like what what may actually feel to be out of balance is an artifice of balance that your brain is sufficing itself with it's like well i am open i am creative so what's the i'm problem? learning every day in my work yeah i can yeah, see true. right and, and honestly sometimes especially in like a modern corporate environment we over leverage this as a coping mechanism with like the 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 gap between where we believe we should be and the gap uh, and, and sorry and the, the position where we are the gap is between where we are and where we should be so the way we describe this is usually we we say someone is out of shape meaning that they're expressing some parts of their personality in a way that is overrepresented or underrepresented and that makes them feel like what you're expressing right you you haven't expressed your creativity in the way that you would like right not to add moral judgments of good or bad this is a behavior that you'd like to see in your life and mm -hmm. it's not being expressed let's uh, just starting with openness that's the way i would describe it you're under expressing openness in fantasy openness in aesthetics and you're expressing maybe commensurately with your default innate tendencies openness to ideas mm -hmm. okay so there is one little piece one fifth of the puzzle so we're going to move on to how you work right um this will give us a lot of clues so and and the only reason i'm focusing on work is it sounds like work dominates the majority of your time is that right like it feels like currently a lot of that time. is true yes yeah it's cool. been true for a long time <laughs> yeah for a long time yeah that's really common like you know, uh, most of us, I think at some point, especially for knowledge workers, 
um, have found that work could almost be overwhelming, if not is ex ex exceedingly overwhelming. I've been overwhelmed in the past, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, I'm going to leave this open-ended and then ask sort of more detailed questions, right? So we learned about creativity work. How do you approach actually getting things done? Um, I am an obsessive list maker without okay. my list in my notes. I think I would be in a, a state of paralysis. Um, so I guess within that, I'm trying to break down big tasks into small tasks and prioritize. Um, how do I tackle the work that I do? Um, if I'm about to start a new task, I I have like a setup period where I read a bunch of stuff and kind of like immerse myself in in the material of what I'm trying to do. So I just like reread everything that has been handed to me or have a conversation with someone. Or if I'm truly stumped, what I will do is just read read something that I think is really good. Um, like a really crisp or beautiful description of something, I guess. Uh, mm. And um, and yeah, I mean, I I guess I I think about something a lot before I do it, and a lot of the work is probably in thinking. I am very bad, for example, at estimating how long something will take me to do, mm. which is very annoying when you work with engineers because they really place a lot of importance on that ability. Okay, wait. So um, wait, I wanna I wanna. I want to zoom in on this. You yeah. said, tell, tell me, basically just say that again. You, you have trouble estimating things. I have trouble knowing how long something's going to take mm. me. Um, mm -hmm. I basically will just work on it until I think it's right. And sometimes that happens fast and sometimes it's a real struggle and I never okay. know really which one it's going to be. Okay. That's very interesting. And um, do you often tell people your estimations before you begin the work? I try not to, but they ask for it a lot because okay. like I said, they're engineers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you work with engineers. Engineers are, they, they put a high premium on measurable work and, you know, they, they want to. Deadlines. How long? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like motivated by deadlines and they're also my enemy because if I, if I can't meet them, I don't. Um, but I generally do. And okay. sometimes they, they crystallize things for me. Okay, so when you make a deadline, um, how does it feel? I cannot make my own deadlines. If it's fake and I made it, it will be meaningless and will go out the window immediately. Um, yeah. yeah, okay. So if a deadline has been imposed on me, I, I feel obligated to meet it. I usually know the reasoning behind the deadline um, and why the thing needs to be done. And I will, you know, even if I've... What I think sometimes feels like procrastinating is really me just getting my thoughts in order. But, you know, eventually when I have to put something out, it, it can kind of be forced. Um, Interesting. Okay. So how, what, what tell, yeah, all right. Tell me a little bit more about putting the thoughts in order. This is, this is interesting. We're going deeper and deeper into this one component. Um, I guess it's hard. It's hard to generalize about it, but um, like, I don't always know what I think about something or, or what I'm going to say about something or write about something until I do it. Um, mm -hmm. Like I don't make outlines. I don't really, I'm not like a goal oriented person generally. I just sort of like do it and keep doing it until I think it's good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes to the point of obsession. Like sometimes mm -hmm. I, my first, one of my first bosses used to say, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, which yeah. I definitely struggle with, but, um, but I don't know if that totally answers your question. It does. And I'm, I'm sort of leading. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to ask leading questions. I'm trying to sort of tease out what the component here, mm -hmm. right? The feeling of a fake deadline being meaningless. You're, you're, not, you're not tricked by fake deadlines. But real deadlines are imposing. You feel an obligation, right, that needs to be done, which cuts off a process that's happening in your mind. So we're, we're looking right now. We, we jumped around a little bit, but we're looking mainly at conscientiousness. This is the second slice of pie. And inside of conscientiousness, I'm just going to rail them off, but we're going to focus on a couple, is order, competence, dutifulness, achievement striving, self-discipline, and deliberation. 
most of what you talked about was deliberation, right? Mm -hmm. And a little bit of order. So making lists, right, is a very ordered thing to do. This seems like something that's useful to you. It's a habit that you've built of like breaking a larger task into smaller tasks. That's deliberation. And the way that you do it is by making a series of lists, right? Yeah. And you talked a lot also, we, we talked about this a little bit before the call of dutifulness being a motivator, right? If someone is high in dutifulness, if they tell someone that they're going to do something, there is a very good chance that they'll do it. And the reason is because they'll feel bad if they don't do it and they'll feel good if they do it. You have like this double motivator for mm -hmm. dutifulness. Okay. And so, that's also part of the social contract of employment, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, qu quite literally. But what's interesting is people low in dutifulness can still get things done. They just don't feel bad if they slip a deadline. And oh, they don't feel yeah. bad if they're getting paid to do something and they don't do it. They're like, that well, would never even occur to me as a possibility. Right? <laughs> yeah. So this is just to, 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 uh, to observe the macro trends. One, one of the interesting things about this way of approaching ourselves and our behavior is often for our lens, other lenses are nearly incomprehensible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That and one, that one for sure. Incomprehensible to me. It, it is incomprehensible. It's like people who are super on time, it's incomprehensible for them to be late. And people who are super late, it's incomprehensible for them to be on time. It's uh, it's like, you know, two different religions almost. Like they, they're just incompatible or in, in some way. Um, so, uh, but anyways, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. I want to focus on this concept here of your deliberation. So now we have two sort of slices of the pie. And a lot of this has been about work, right? So let's look at Mally's life, right? <laughs> Outside of work, are there times where you find that this behavior is conserved? I don't want to know about how not conserved it is, right? That's, that's easy. This is a harder question. When am and I not over-deliberating? When, when, are, when are you deliberating and it helps you in your life? When are you open and it helps you in your life? We're going to look for a hint in your behavior somewhere in there. There's something that you're already doing that we can hijack that is the step towards your desire. I wish I had a, a quick, good answer for you, but I don't really. I, I know that. So think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am... I'm deliberate and careful in most of the decisions I make. So I generally think I'm, you know, I'm not like blowing up my own life. I'm pretty careful about the, the big decisions. Um, I get the things done that need to get done mostly. But as I'm saying that, I'm realizing that's not totally true. Um, okay, that's fine. Because, for example, I'm very bad at remembering to eat uh, throughout the day. That okay. is something I struggle with. So that's sure. that's a counterexample to what I just said. That's actually not um, deliberation, though, necessarily. Like, it, it doesn't require deliberation uh, to remember to eat. Deliberation is more like you think through the decisions that you're going to make, the actions that you're going to take. You consider the alternatives and the consequences before taking action. That's yeah. sort of what deliberation is. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, I would say that's probably helpful to the people in my life, whether colleagues or or people I love. Um, right. I'm helping people make decisions and think through them. Fantastic. That makes total sense. You're good at helping people make decisions and think through them. Do you do this naturally? Yes. Of course. Right. Perhaps to a fault because sometimes people don't want solutions, but that's where it goes. That's perfect because we're going to jump into agreeableness. Normally we'd go to extroversion next, but I think it would be really interesting to cut to agreeableness. So conscientiousness, right? So we covered openness. All right. Fantasy and ideas. This is a motivator for you. Mm -hmm. We talked about conscientiousness. Deliberation is an engine for you, right? So you have like the carrot and now we have like the donkey, like how the donkey <laughs> goes after the carrot is you're generally able to deliberate and then your dutifulness, competence, achievement, striving. This is sort of like, I don't know, this is a weird metaphor now, but it's like the, the food the donkey ate. I don't know. It's like the <laughs> fuel, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I won't, I won't uh, t take that metaphor too far, but we, we will come back to it in a second. 
Okay, and now you're talking about a trait, um, agreeableness, right? Agreeableness is uh, the individual differences in cooperation and social harmony, right? And so if someone is high in agreeableness, um, they're likely to go along to get along. If someone is low, uh, in, in, in the most uh, dramatic cases, it's ruthless, uh, suspicious, stingy, antagonistic, critical, critical ir irritable, right? That's how people perceive um, me sometimes. <laughs> but uh, looking, looking at this, right, inside of agreeableness, you're high in tender-mindedness, you're high in altruism. So you just said it comes naturally to you to sort of like help people, even if they maybe didn't ask you um, to help them. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes people just want to complain and don't necessarily need a solution. But right. I, my brain immediately unfurls in a like, how can I improve? How can I make this person feel better? I definitely okay. do that. Yeah. Great. Okay. This is also a motivator, right? There's another carrot. So we're breaking this. We're breaking this down into we're we're basically breaking the crime of not doing something into its constituent parts so that we can untangle what we want to happen, what is not happening, right? So to rewind back to like where we're actually heading, what we're trying to do is answer the question, sort of why has why has this thing been happening for the last 12 years that used or more accurately, why has this thing not been happening for the last 12 years that used to happen somewhat naturally, right? Why is it hard to make room for being creative? That was like your yeah. of it. Yeah, despite the fact that it's important to me and makes me happy. And I know that. <laughs> well, so clearly that's you know in insufficient conditions, right? So yeah. we're gonna find the sufficient conditions. And now we, we have a few of we have a few conditions. Again, we're not going to solve it yet, mm -hmm. but we have a few conditions we can look at. So openness, we can look at essentially what's fantastical and beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to you. That's like what's interesting to you is going to be like a, a little curiosity that if you chase it, you might find something that will get you where you want to go. And how you approach it, okay, is looking at conscientiousness. How someone with self, like really high self-discipline, just to be vulnerable myself, you and I are exactly the same on self-discipline, which is low. No. <laughs> yeah. And what does that mean is you and I sitting next to someone who's even just a few points higher than us, they're going to win. <laughs> they're going to win if it requires sitting in a room and like being bored and like making yourself do Powering it. through. Yeah. So, so now, now there's two things people can do when they know they're low in something that is conventionally helpful for accomplishing some some task like this mm -hmm. one thing they can do is rail against it right i know many people who the way that they work out is by coercing themselves and like it's like there's a scene from that movie dodgeball where it's like he's like i hate myself that's my motivation it's like <laughs> ah i see that's the stick i'm not even going to judge that right if that gets you to a, a healthier place yeah, and it works you on right? sure yeah I, but you, I cannot coerce myself. I so neither, neither can I. It yeah. actually requires self-discipline to punish yourself. There you go. So it's, it's ironic, right? You reach mm. for these tools, the dark tools, and they might not even work, right? You reach for the stick <laughs> and you're like, this isn't, doesn't hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like I'm pretending this works, but it actually doesn't. So, and then we get to agreeableness and having this tender mindedness, having this altruism for people that you care about. The, what does that mean? Tender mindedness inside of agreeableness is the ability to empathize with the subjective experience of others, right? Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, tender mindedness, being low in it is actually very useful too. This one is useful to be low in and useful to be high in for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Someone very low in tender mindedness, they're going to just be able to cut directly to the objective reason for whatever's happening. Mm -hmm. Tender mindedness, you're going to see the reason people think, the reason people feel it's happening. Yeah. Whether or not you feel it doesn't matter. You'll be able to see it mm -hmm. and you'll be able to relate to it. So it's really useful for the sort of that side of pro, the pro-social behavior, not necessarily jumping to solutions. That's other reasons. Yeah. Um, well, being a writer and an editor is like how how to help people understand this. Where how do I you know start where this person is and bring them to where their reader is, for example. Exactly, tender mindedness yeah. is actually a really useful skill for writers. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. Yeah. 
Um, it is maybe actually, I didn't realize that till you said it, maybe it's the core skill, right? It's like your your compassion allows you to write from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And for different audiences. Totally. Yeah. Now the question is, why do you even care? And that's <laughs> altruism. Yeah. And this might be surprising to you, but I've met people who have scored low in altruism and they don't feel good helping other people, even their friends. They feel bad helping other people. It feels like an obligation, an imposition. It's not draining, maybe. Yeah. Not recharging them, it's draining them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's another unthinkable for me. <laughs> unthinkable, right? Like the idea of like not helping someone doesn't cross your mind. So all right, we've got we've got now three out of five pieces. We've got your openness, <laughs> conscientiousness, the way that your agreeableness manifests, your personal life, which is probably starting to get a little more useful. We're getting away from this work as an identity to like, wait a second, that's right. You have you do have this whole life. I right? do have a life. It's true. And um, we'll look at extroversion. Um, we're only going to do it briefly. In your case, you, I would I would say you're you're actually on the um, you're you're on the average side of extroversion. A lot of attributes are slightly higher. The facets of extroversion I'll remind people are warmth, gregariousness, assertiveness, activity, excitement seeking, and positive emotions. This is where things get really interesting and complex, which is why I saved extroversion from second to last. Because usually people say, am I an extrovert or an introvert? What they mean is, am I gregarious or am I low in gregariousness? Mm -hmm. That is what usually people consider extroversion. And this indicates like your interest in get, getting energy from crowds. This is how people describe extroversion. Yeah. And when people say, I am an, um, I'm an outgoing introvert, that is actually like more accurate. It's like maybe you actually feel positive emotions. You like activity. You're assertive right? But you're not necessarily gregarious or you're an a, a shy a, extrovert, <laughs> a shy extrovert. Yeah. So that this is a really interesting thing. A shy extrovert is someone who might have low positive emotions, high excitement seeking and high gregariousness. They want to be around parties, but they don't really want to like be around people. Like they, yeah. they don't want to like be one-on-one -on -one with people. They want to be around a group of people. Observing or getting the energy or something. Or very likely performing. This is uh, actually the shy extrovert is the archetypical rock star. This is somebody who's like, I want to output something and be in the energy, but I don't want to hear from you about it. <laughs> right. And they're also often low in altruism, which is really funny. Right. That is funny. Um, so the interesting thing with you and extroversion is like being across the board, right? You're moderate in warmth, moderate in um, gregariousness, moderate to low in assertiveness, moderate in activity, low in excitement seeking, and moderate in positive emotions. That's all I'll say because I don't think it's going to be – it's not necessarily going to be the place where we're going to start, right? It's just to know that like – what you can take from this is if you're not doing something socially, you're going to be draining your life. All you're doing is working in a dungeon. Even if you consider yourself to be an introvert, you're going to be draining your life mana. Your life yeah. Force. yeah, definitely. And honestly, being a, a writer is a somewhat, it's more isolated than other roles. And I definitely have realized like there's a limit to the point I can isolate myself either to be happy or my work will get worse. Like, right. Um, yeah. I think it makes sense that I'm sort of middle of the road. And there's an interesting thing in here, right? Because when you reach for solutions to a problem, what you just said is I immerse myself. That's the word that you used. And you said, sometimes I converse. So immersing <laughs> in a conversation is socializing, even if it doesn't feel like it. Right. Which yeah. again, it, 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 it's a double-edged sword because what a lot of people used to do before COVID is they would actually, for, for moderate extroverts, they would essentially source their extroversion fix from water cooler conversations that would happen naturally. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they didn't realize how much they needed. Even introverts need social interaction, right? Mm -hmm. they need less. And so getting the fix from work can be good, but, but it can also be detrimental if, for instance, your goal was to dance again. Well, right. you're actually creating an artificial incentive by feeding a part of you in a place that you don't want to spend more of your effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I definitely, I definitely think 
for example, if I'm like traveling for work, I'm like, oh, I'm out in the world and seeing things and seeing people, but it's like not a choice I've made or, you know, people I've chosen to be with. Not that I don't like my coworkers, but it's like, when's the last time I took a trip that I planned? Very long time. Yes. Well, the irony of that is that you would probably be really good at planning trips. <laughs> I'm excellent at planning trips. Yeah. I love doing um, research and having the best itinerary. Absolutely. And I bet you feel um, a sense of achievement having planned a trip. You don't even need to do the trip, actually, right? Um, I do, but I like the planning and I like the trip. Well, of course you like the trip, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, though. But yes, that, the like, act of planning it is very fun to me. That is is a difference and this is where being in shape we're starting to actually start to edge into solutions mm -hmm. what you may not know is people like me who are low in deliberation low in self-discipline low in order i hate planning yeah. i love being and experiencing but if i had to sit down and plan a list of things it's like it's like so draining to me i feel like like i'm sweating at the end of it like oh god this is the worst <laughs> Right. Yeah. My boyfriend is the same way. So right. traveling together is funny. Right. Well, so, and, but that's what now, now you're getting into like the partner side of it. Right. But you are able to amplify the relationship by being the person who probably higher deliberation is able to offer like the plan. And, and mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure there's some tension there too, but like being able to offer that is going to be beneficial to you and him. If you guys can find a way to leverage that in yeah, a partnership. Yeah. It, it yeah. is often a good thing. And Good. you don't want two planners who have different ideas. That would be worth it all. Yeah, see? I, okay, yeah, I, I, too much of a good thing, right? Um, and then finally, everybody's favorite to talk about, we're going to dig into neuroticism. This is like the <laughs> stick, right? This is like, uh, it, and by the way, pain can be extremely motivating, right? That's Suffering true. can be like a rocket propellant out of a situation and away from a situation. So we don't want to discount this. And this is where being in the right shape is complex, right? Like, yes, over time, everybody would love to eliminate their neuroticism. I'm sure. I mean, if, if I took a poll, I bet it would be overwhelming. Like if I could just never feel anxiety again, fantastic. All right, we'll work on that. Yeah. But does but that, anxiety sometimes protect us or, you know, it has, yes. yes, it has good pieces for sure. Me being moderate to low in anxiety, just to, just to reflect, has created problems in my life. Because okay. I have underestimated the risks associated with real dangerous activities, yeah. right? Physical dangerous activities. I almost broke my wrist and I wasn't able to use it for a month because I did, I, I just was chasing the activity seeking, excitement seeking and going down basically a cliff face on a snowboard where I didn't know where I was going to land. And it wasn't snow at the base. It oh was a boulder and on a log, if I were a little bit more anxious, it actually would have protected me from a really bad situation. If I were a little less impulsive, if I were a little more deliberate, but I'm not, which is why I hurt my wrist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's- I would there's... hurt my wrist snowboarding off a cliff. I'll say that. <laughs> Precisely. And it's easy to get, it's easy to judge ourselves for, for attributes that we are conventionally daily calling negative and um, you know, like taking pills to get rid of and like going to therapy so that we don't have to feel it. Yeah. Right. But I do just want to point out that there, there are what I will describe as pro social attributes, especially when coupled with other components of our personality, even in neuroticism. <laughs> Although if you want to be real, like it doesn't feel good usually, right? That's neuroticism right. doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. So self-consciousness, tell me a little bit about your self-consciousness. Um, what a question. I, I think a lot about, um, what people will think if I do or don't do something. I think a lot about another person's feelings and, well, I like, I overthink every interaction and try to like decode, um, what that person might have been thinking. I sort of have like a, a pattern of low self-esteem and like a tendency to focus on the negative. And, you know, I am not 
altruistic toward myself is maybe how I would say it. Um, I, yeah, I worry about, it's like, it's, self-consciousness is probably connected to some of the other things we've talked about, um, like, uh, like deliberation, but I don't know, I overthink everything and I have a lot of negative thoughts about myself. I'll summarize yes. it that way. Okay. And in particular, I would, I would wager um, it's rooted in a concern of what other people think, which was implied, but you didn't explicitly say that, right? Yeah. And I've, we've talked about this a bit and I've mulled over it because, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm really concerned with appearances or like, I don't know, I can, I've known people who really care about what people think of them. And I don't quite identify as that. Like I'm, it's not necessarily going to change how I am or how I present, but yeah. I am thinking about it. And, um, and I think a lot of it is like also sort of projected inward at me. Like I'm judging myself. I'm thinking a lot about myself. Yes. Um, yes. and there's kind of like a, a weird negative ego thing going on there for sure. Right. Well, so let me let me just unpack that really, really quickly. The difference between what you described, right, mm -hmm. is someone who's high in vulnerability, okay, and self-consciousness and likely low in either assertiveness or competence. So one yeah. of those, if if they have that combination, the way that it's going to manifest is I am I am going to change for you. Yeah. Whereas if you're low in vulnerability, <laughs> what? I don't really do that. Right. Of course yeah. not because you're low in vulnerability. So you're, you're moderate to low. You're on the, you're like, what that means is like a normal, a normally troubling event will trouble you a normal amount. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, like, yeah, like on the lower side, like if you're next to the average person, they're going to be like, oh my God, this car just crashed in front of me. And you're going to go, oh, car just crashed. That's, that sucks. Right. Someone who's like zero in vulnerability can't be zero, but as low as possible, they would be like, the fact is a car just crashed. Like, calm, yeah. you know, killer, killer instinct. Like snipers are like what we mm -hmm. conventionally think of someone with like no vulnerability because they have to just be like, I'm killing a human being and I don't feel bad about it. All right. That got dark. <laughs> but uh, let's let's look at this. OK, so we have all five pieces of the puzzle. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we have a desired behavior. So I'm going to restate this whole thing. And then I'm going to pose you some questions where you can basically try to solve your own problem. I'm not even going to make any suggestions. Right. So you ask the question, why have I found it hard to make room for being creative? And what we've learned is you're high in openness. You are being fed to some degree from work. Openness to fantasy and openness to ideas being the primary drivers, but also like next in the race is aesthetics. So like something beautiful, something fantastical, something interesting. Okay. The, the vehicle is really, you know, dutifulness, achievement, striving, competence, and deliberation. That's the biggest vehicle. The being deliberate through a process, making a list taking a big thing and making it small, organizing the thoughts, right? Like thinking through stuff before you do stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Moderate extroversion, meaning that you do need some sort of overall general social thing, right? You can't just go into a cave in order for the creativity to manifest. Mm -hmm. The agreeableness is doing things for other people. So altruistically will make you feel good. Right, yeah. you can be compassionate and then do something for other people. It'll make you feel good. It's not that you're obligated; you'll actually feel good. And the opposite you said was incomprehensible. And then lastly, the stick is when things don't go the way that you expect them. You feel self-conscious, but not in a way that makes you want to change who you are. You're not vulnerable, but you feel bad about it. And yeah. maybe it leads to the anxiety side, the depressed, the depressive side. It could go either way, depending on the attribute that self-consciousness is going to hit first. And mm -hmm. I want to be really clear. Self-consciousness is essentially like this, like easily embarrassed feeling, this concern with like, oh, cringe, cringy feeling, right? Like, yeah, self -cringe. yeah it almost has a physical symptom for me. Um, 
Yeah. I feel it all the time. So here's the hard question. Okay. Because now we're going back to the actual, notice we spent very little time looking at the goal. We spent most of the time looking at the the thing that wants the goal, Mali, as an entity, like you, as a as a as a modeled being, right? Yeah, and can I actually, for like twenty seconds, push back on one thing you said? Absolutely, I'd love to. I the thing you said about being fed to an extent um, in my openness by work. I think that that's like the reason I can do my job and not be miserable or quit and go find something else to do. But I, I think to an extent, it's like how much how much energy do I expend in that process and how much do I have left over? It's like, I, it's not that I have sort of like a cup that needs to be filled to a certain level. It's more, um, it's more like there has to be something in the cup or I'm just not going to do it. But absolutely. Yeah. But I, I would not say like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm creatively fed by work. So I don't need anything else. Creative. No, that's, a, um, that's really good pushback. Um, I mean, that's not quite what you meant, but it's like... No, no, no. This is great because you bring me to a really, really important point, which actually is exactly what you just said, right? You're not going to be able to do something that doesn't feed you. Yes, that's true. Um, my friend Wynn a long time ago gave me the advice, don't, you know, don't fall for the sort of millennial cliche that you should do what you love and it won't feel like work because that's not true. And you can ruin the thing you love in the process of turning it into your work. So in fact, what you should do is what comes naturally to you and what you're really good at. So you can expend as little energy as possible doing it. And I think about that a lot because I've, I've definitely like walked that line and I haven't always maintained my balance on it. Sometimes I go too far in one direction or the other. Well, and so to, to flesh that out a little bit more, our thesis, which our data has supported, is that, you know, we're going to get a more, more nuance with that. Everything mm -hmm. that you said is completely true, right? Yeah. And what we found is people who act in, in shape, uh, meaning they act essentially as close to in accordance with their latent default behavioral tendencies, right? Like their certain level of openness, their certain level of conscientiousness, their extroversion, agreeableness, their neuroticism even. Mm -hmm. It When you act in shape, and by the way, when people stop forcing anything, they regress to unnatural shape, right? Yeah. And then there are things like, I mean, I don't want to get into like personality disorders and like real neuroses that require work like therapy or um, some cases medication, um, although that's a whole other conversation, yeah. right? But but some neuroses require hard work to overcome. Like, and just to be really clear, changing a trait, changing like your level, latent level of neuroticism, requires a lot of work over many months to actually mm -hmm. change the basal rate. Yep. You will regress to the mean. Judging that and being upset about it isn't as productive as <laughs> uh, kind of relaxing into knowing that it will happen. And that things will happen after that. It's not like you're going to die when you feel a sense of anxiety, right? Yeah. Um, but the problem with anxiety is sometimes it feels like you will. <laughs> exactly, right? So, yeah. so, but the problem to solve is not trying to change the outside world and say, okay, I'm going to change how much anxiety the world is making me feel. It's inside job. It's like, yeah. how do I deal with the feelings I have? And so this gets me to my conclusion of, it's actually almost the opposite of what what I what I said, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, let me flesh out that thought all the way. So what I said is sometimes being fed in part, right, can and, – and let me rephrase it actually. Being fed in part can mask the fact that you're not being fed in whole. Oh, yeah. That's a good and that's, that's a better way of saying it. And when you're fed in whole, it actually means that your work can – it's not that you love it, that you might love it. It's that it's feeding you. It's that you're getting energy doing something and it feels easy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's a little more nuanced than I do what I love. I do what I'm passionate about. It's I do what fits the latent behavioral tendencies of my shape. Now, this gets complicated. There are engineers who love music, but the way they create music might be different than like going into a drum circle that's very social. Right. And we call these creating music. And now this is where the challenge is. You want to be creative. What form of creativity, if we're to zoom back and we're going to imagine we're two aliens and we show up and all we have is this data set and we're like, we're observing, we're observing a being, right? High in openness to fantasy, high in idea, openness to ideas, 
It is high-end deliberation. We are only focusing on this, right? We're, we we know what the facts are. Yeah. What would be the expression of creativity that this being could do once that it would feel more charged, more energy doing it? Not Mally, a being that has these attributes. Um, I don't know. I feel like this should be an easy answer to your question, but it's not. It's not. Um, no, 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 no. It is not an easy answer. This is the hardest question of the whole podcast. Openness to fantasy, openness to ideas, and high end deliberation. Let's start there. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, high end, high end deliberation, dutifulness, altruism, and tender mindedness. So let, let me let me simplify it. Okay, so it's a thing that's got to be aesthetic. It's a thing that's got to be interesting and fantastical. It's a thing that requires maybe some thought. It's a thing that involves making other people feel good. Yeah, that's an interesting piece of it. Um, and by the way, not a stranger, probably someone close to us because it's moderate extroversion. So they already have to be in the tribe. You're not going to feel good going to a stranger and saying, read my poem, for example. So this is the aliens challenge. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say writing, writing touches all of those things because it is a fantastical and obsessive craft and it's something that is for other people like most writers don't write something and leave it in their computer or in their notebook easy forever. okay great so we have two components already we have the vehicle of writing right so it's like the thing that's the object but there's a lot to that right remember i was like i'm not just beating drums in my room mm -hmm. if i'm highly extroverted but i want creativity i'm gonna go to a drum circle yeah and if I and remember, if I'm low altruism and high gregariousness, maybe I want to publish my work so that other people can enjoy it. And maybe if I'm the opposite, I don't. I want it to be created and destroyed in one moment. So things get nuanced. What kind of writing? Mm, good question for this for this person. And I'm the alien thinking about it. Um, yes, I guess it could be something that is uh, like both instructive and entertaining okay i don't know i don't have a good answer to that question <laughs> oh no that's a good answer what is instructive and entertaining give me one example um i guess like uh reflective um writing about the self either like i i learned this thing i learned how to do this thing and here's how to do it i had this feeling and then i did this and i felt better um Yeah, I guess I guess instructive, um, instructive writing, writing that is supposed to help help someone think through a thing. Okay, all right. So now we're getting into my second thing, right? Okay, so we have the object. Now we've really defined the object. Okay, so now now instead of why have I found it hard to make room for being creative, which I think we may have already sort of discovered, like it's yeah. actually kind of easy to answer. We're we're trying to we're trying to answer the opposite question, which is how can we start making do, room? Yeah, or how do I stop not making room? How do you stop not making room? That's a, a an even better way of describing it, more technically correct, the best kind of correct. So um, I'm a bit of a negative so, read, which usually I respond to more. Um, right. Yes. Okay. So instructive and entertaining, great. For whom should this person do it? It's a good question. Um, I guess for for a real person they know rather than a general imagined audience. Yes. So this alien knows everything about Mally's life. What's a real person that w would what Mally would feel distraught if she let down if she didn't write something that was like reflectively instructive for them? And I think maybe to just make it easier is like, is there someone where it's like a known problem. You don't have to say their name. You could be a category of person, right? Is there a, a category of person that has known problems that she could help with immediately? Like she knows like how to help or, or even really. that she could share with. Yeah. It's probably more about sharing. Cause like, if it were, cool. if it were like, I'm going to solve all your problems with my creative work that like nothing happens in my brain when I think about that, but. Okay, perfect. That, um, who could she share with in which it would be instructive and entertaining? I don't know, her family, her boyfriend, her friends. Okay, so we have categories, family, 
boyfriend and friends. Now, here's the hardest part. And this is how we actually get this thing to happen. And we only want it to happen one time, and then we want to measure how it feels, okay? Oftentimes, when we create goals, we say things like this. I want more room for being creative in my life, right? Mm -hmm. But what we don't say is how much room, how many days, how many minutes, how often are we doing this? Is it consistent? Is it inconsistent? How much do we need? What's the serving size? It's a good question. I mean, I think like basically any serving size would be more than now. My ideal right. state would probably be one in which I can make stuff that I think is cool all the time and feel that it's going to help someone. So cool. I live in a reality where that can't happen, but like I distinctly remember the extreme anxiety I had, for example, in the first year of like being an adult with a nine to five, usually more like nine to nine job, which is like, I felt so freaked out about doing a good job all the time. I like, I lost like 10 pounds cause I wasn't eating enough. And I was just yeah. so like extremely yes. like on edge all the time. And yes, I didn't really feel like that as a student. In fact, I was a sometimes kind of like lazy student. Um, right. I didn't care about what I was doing. So it's like, what about this? You know, is it the relationship to my security? Do I need to feel like I have enough of something else to be like, I've earned this other time or I've done enough so I can do this other thing. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a hard, it's like, I'm aware objectively of this tendency I have. And I basically I'm saying I don't have a good answer. Another way that someone once put it to me is you have this feeling like when the laundry basket is empty and all the laundry is done and put away, you'll be able to like feel great and feel relaxed. But the problem is that there's always a piece of laundry in the laundry basket and you just Unless, have to live with it. And it's like, I hate that idea. Yeah. Unless you do your laundry naked. Um, yes, but I'd still, I'm, I'd still I know I'm, I'm joking. So, so you hate the idea of leftover laundry. Okay. So it's like and a lot of guilt about like, I could always have done more. I could always have done a better job. I, there's always more work to do or like I've worked yes. hard and I'm tired and I don't have much right. left to give. So which tells you that you've got to create a commit. Now we're talking about the hardest, the hardest, hardest part, right? Serving size is actually in your case, right? Doing anything you in your words is infinitely better than doing nothing. Right. So you understand that logically. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting into the commitment mechanism. Okay. You have a strong sense of commitment and I'm aggregating all of the positive and negative emotions associated with your work and your life. You have a, maybe an overinflated sense of commitment to what your current obligations are. Yes, that's fair. You need, and this is the question for the alien <laughs> looking at your life, you need a commitment mechanism that can compete with your current commitments mm -hmm. that will work just one time because in the last 12 years, even just doing it once is a huge thing to celebrate. If yeah. you can literally do this one time, right? And I think we have a lot of the elements that you said, and I want to be really clear. You said this, like these are answers mm -hmm. to questions, but I didn't come up with any of this. Reflective self, I learned how to do a thing. It's helpful and instructive. It's an instructive and entertaining. For whom? A real person that you know. A real person Mally knows, right? Where, where aliens looking at this. <laughs> For whom? Family, boyfriends, friends. Okay. It's plural. What's a sure. <laughs> You know how it is. <laughs> uh, what serving size? Any serving size. Literally a sentence for someone else will, will accomplish the goal and you can celebrate that. Then come up with a second goal. Right. But now what is the commitment mechanism that will compete with the overwhelming, you know, uh, uh, maybe a oppressive force of your current orientation of the pattern of your life? My instinctive and very dark answer is it would give me money. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, I think if I like boil down my sort of obsessive 
relationship to work it's like it's tied to security and providing for myself and being safe so there's that but that's like a pretty extreme that's kind of an extreme answer i guess a more a nicer answer would be um like not disappointing one of the loved ones i mentioned okay or i think both of those can be true right like like you're, you're adding moral judgments but would you if you were an alien looking at this you'd be like she is motivated by security right it's like okay that's fine it increases a sense of security would be a really strong commitment mechanism yeah and then the second hypothesis is um she is motivated by her self-consciousness altruism and deliberation right and it's like okay not disappointing one of the people that you love and loves you would be yeah. a strong commitment mechanism. So can you put these all together? This is the conclusion of the podcast for today, right? You're <laughs> going to weave them all together. You're going to put a button on this whole thing and give me what the next step that you're going to take to create this commitment mechanism that is a domino you're setting up that will lead you to writing one tiny thing. Don't make it huge. One, like... 130 characters, could be a tweet, right? That has the following elements, okay? The output is instructive and entertaining. The audience is someone you actually know, preferably one person. Small is the serving size, but if you want to write more, you can. But I would say set the goal low so it's extremely achievable. And the commitment mechanism has to be either, in by the way, the timeline within, honestly, today. I would say, before you go to bed. Oh no. So probably not the money one, but not disappointing somebody. Um, well, I was going to say I could like have my boyfriend pay me to write something. That's, that's, a, actually, the that's a great idea. <laughs> Sadly, he's already asleep, but so it can't be today. Okay, well, we'll say 24 no. hour period. Sure. No, let's see. Let's see if it works. <laughs> Ask him if he'll pay you to write something. That's a great idea. Um, yeah, it feels kind of like twisted, but it could, it's an interesting experiment. Don't judge it. You're an alien looking at this, right? I mean, like that's the exercise. The loved one has to pay her to solve their problems. It's such a, it's such a good, it, but, but that's perfect. You did the exercise perfectly, right? right? Like an alien would be like, uh, this is the perfect solution. And now I want to, I want to dismantle this and then we'll, we'll do the outro, right? right? Notice that the solution isn't what you would have come up with if you put it through the machinery that we were looking at before. Yes, that's right? definitely true. When you set out to find time for being creative, you're setting this impossible burden because you can't make more time. That's true. And when you set out to understand yourself, and then solve one little teeny tiny problem as an alien looking at the facts objectively, really being okay with it. It's okay. You said it was dark. I didn't say it was dark. Our audience doesn't think it's dark. They probably like making money. They like living in a house and eating food. I know I do. I think having your loved one pay you to do creative work is weird, but maybe not dark, but it's weird. No, that's great. You think it's weird, but it's very, very in the correct shape for Mali. So you thinking it is weird, and this is the mind-blowing prestige, is simply your self-consciousness judging a solution that might actually work for you. And the problem is not even to remove the judgment. It's to be okay with that your mind, when you come up with these interesting, creative, <laughs> fantastic, potentially functional solutions, your mind is simply gonna deliver a negative judgment because that's how your mind is. That's also okay. Yeah, another way to frame this goal might be my boyfriend here's what i've done for work that day says you've done enough work and now i would like it if you could create this thing for me honestly Don't have to maybe, be <laughs> may, maybe we could make this even more legit which is you tell him is there something you'd like me to write that's under 100 words 200 words you'd actually like me to write that you will pay me for then it becomes real work right like i mean now I'm not going to dismantle needing to create, you know, work for your creative output. I think it's fine as a first step. And I think you've done a great job dismantling yourself and Thanks, Peter. creating one useful step towards your goal. So does that help? Yeah, it was a very interesting. It's an interesting exercise. It definitely helps me unpack the fuckers that I have around 
work and like why I actually feel like I can't. Like work is the only thing I'm allowed to do. That's obviously not real. And it's not, it's not even a good blocker. Like when I hear it, it sounds very flimsy. So, yeah. so I, I will put it through the filter of my personality and, <laughs> uh, observe and examine why I'm, why I keep doing these things. And I will do this experiment. I'm probably yeah. not to ask my boyfriend to pay me to write something, but the second version, I'll do it. So, so what will you do? Let's find out that, so you'll, you'll, you'll tell him you're going to write something and then you'll write it to not disappoint him. Yeah. And, and I'll like ask for external permission that I've done enough work, which is, which is apparently another of the blockers, even though I know it's irrational. It's like, I haven't earned this. Doing the experiment will lead you to understand the mechanism better as you do it. So, mm -hmm. um, but uh, thank you so much, Mally. This has been super fun. We have untangled some of the crimes, uh, crimes <laughs> of your own mind. Um, oh, and uh, if you want to put your behavior through the lens of your own personality, fair listener, um, we've made the test publicly available, although obscured, at beyondyou.org slash test. You can check out your facets, trying to understand what you're doing. Uh, the reason it's free and available is because we're looking for feedback. So uh, you can send feedback to peter at safanot.com. That'll be the URL in the link that you're looking at if you go to the URL that I said. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. Uh, again, Mally, this has been great. This is really fun. It and was fun. Thanks, Thank you. Yep. Thanks for listening. Okay. You guys have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.